Pilly found some space, took the mark, loaded up. Oh, the bottom strikes early. Garcia marks, plays on. Can he finish? Bailey Smith, the dogs have got all the flow. This will bring the house down. If Bailey Smith knows it and lets the crowd know. And balls to English on the run. The Ruckman, a long ball, a glorious ball. Slid the handball in to Lork and straighten onto his right. He's got time, he's got space, and he's kicked up beauty. Now Jamari Gilhagen kicks it wrong. It's a got and what a carry. That's something extraordinary. It's five for the night and the dogs are home. Welcome to the Salty Bulldog, the podcast that would very much like to enjoy this week's episode by cracking open a can of lobster tears. Unfortunately, the shipment has not yet arrived. My name is Matthew Donald, your regular host of the Salty Bulldog, and I'm joined, of course, by Nick Galea, the accountant, the man with all the numbers. And I'm looking forward to having a big chat with him about a really, really good win last Friday night. Nick, welcome. Hello, Matthew. Hello, everyone out there in the world of the Western Bulldogs. We've, how could I say this? Good to, good to see that we're back uh, back again once more on level pegging at three and three, steadily moving up the AFL ladder as we speak. And what's that now? A three and one record in the most recent month. So, what a time to be alive in the reign of Marcus Bontempelli. Well, we'll get to I think him. That's probably we'll get to him later. We will, but it, it, I just had to say it. What a time to be alive! Seriously, you're, you're jumping. You're jumping around a bit there, Nick, because uh, you're covering about four or five different things that I want to talk about. At Indeed. Once. So let's start off with, of course, yes, three and three, and. Yes, we're starting to get a little bit of our season back on track once again. What were you thinking, Matt, coming into this game? We saw how we played against Ports uh, in Adelaide, of course, and, you know, we, we put in a good showing. But did you have any hesitations on uh, on the Shorten break as well as the particular conditions? Because we saw the last time we played a, a very, very heavy match at the Adelaide Oval that affected us the following round, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Likewise, Port 2. Yeah, uh I was concerned. Yeah, I, I didn't think we would beat Fremantle, to be honest. And there were a couple of reasons for that. We, I mean, I, I do think that we still hadn't quite captured the form that we would have hoped or expected to, to capture this year. I think we sort of touched on our interstate record uh, last or over the course of the, of the last couple of years. Hasn't been great. Not only, think, what is it? We've only beaten the... the the well, Suns don't count as interstate because we play them at Ballarat. But in terms of games outside of, um, say, Marvel, um, we've only got like a four and seven record, I think it is. We've only yeah. beaten the Giants, West Coast, um, and maybe the Giants again, I guess, in that in that mix as well as the Suns. So, yeah, nothing really much to, to write home about there. Yeah, um, so that, that played into my thinking. Uh, there was a the fact that, you know, we were we played Fremantle over there last year, only a few games ago, and couldn't beat them despite having a, a big lead. I think there were a few reasons why I was worried, but I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised, pleasantly surprised rather, with the way that the dogs played. Because one of the things that we've seen a lot from the dogs in the past few years has been winning, but doing just enough. But this was this was very different. They did more than enough. You know, they actually did more than just win. They got they got a very comfortable win. And given the percentages that were on at the moment, I know people will say, oh, it's a bit early in the year to be talking about that. It, it's never really too early to build your percentage over the course of Not the year. Not at all. And in you terms of those speak big... speak to that. Sorry. Sorry cats, Nick, in terms, mate. Yeah. But in terms of the big 
two or the two big defeats we suffered at the start of the season to Melbourne and St Kilda. We've got one of them back now. Uh-huh. Which is very important to see. And just to, as you alluded to it just before, Matt, saying how important percentage is regardless of the time of the year. Uh, we've just seen, you know, for instance, Geelong, um, they've been able to what, accrue, what, three 50-plus point wins lately. And now, after their slow start of, uh, what was it, zero and three, wasn't it? Yeah. They've now got the second highest percentage in the competition. It makes a big difference. and yeah, It makes a massive difference because well, we really- are, what, sitting 11th? And they're sitting, what, in the top eight now, probably? They're ninth. They're, oh, they're the sitting game, oh, just outside yeah. with 47%. Yeah. <laughs> nice. uh, but uh, we, we started at 76%, I think it was, went to the match, and, and it's climbed up to 90.3% now in a 49-point mm. win over the Dockers. So it was 17-16, mm-hmm. 118 to 10, 9, 69. Mm-hmm. Bailey Williams and Aaron Norton with three goals each. Trelaw and Bontempelli mm-hmm. with two goals each. Scott Daniel Lobb. Liberatore, English, Waitman, McNeil all getting on the scoreboard. Uh, Trelaw with 35 disposals for the second week in a row. Bontabelli with 31. McRae, uh, we'll give, we will sing his praises shortly, I'm sure. 29 disposals. Liberatore, 25. Williams again, 23. Daniel Johannesson, 22. Tim English with 20. In terms of the coaches' votes, another perfect game for Marcus Bontabelli. I mean, he's, a, he's had plenty of those. 10 votes for him, 7 for Trelaw. Six for Bailey Williams, five for McCrae, one each for Liam Jones and Aaron Norton. It was a clean sweep for the Bulldogs on Friday night. A, a much-needed win against the Dockers, a comprehensive victory over the Dockers, and squaring the ledger at three and three. It was uh, not much more we could have asked for. No, not, not at all there, Matt. It's just it's really nice to see a, a comfortable win, what ultimately became a comfortable win, but it seemed like throughout large chunks of the, of the match itself, that we had, for the most part, a lot of control of the of the contest, did we not? I'd probably say the first quarter left me a little bit uh, aggrieved and, and agitated at times due to seeing, you know, constant four-ways uh, four going forward, not getting much return for it, and Fremantle will go down the other end from a couple of soft uh, bits of play and capitalise. So, you know, I think a lot of the fans would have been pretty annoyed. I'm sure the club in general as well would have been a bit... Uh, frustrated at that particular part of the start that we had, but it but was so, a very, very attractive brand of football. We to were watch, still, wasn't it? we were still the better side, mm. right from yes, the start. And we were able forget the <coughs> forget the set shots or the the opportunities that we didn't score. The fact is, we were actually able to get, or sorry, create a lot of those opportunities nonetheless, which is something that we hadn't been able. To, to do in the past on occasions, which we've been very much guilty of. Mm-hmm. You know, like we always mention, right, getting bang for your buck. Um, and that sometimes comes down to obviously either, say, kicking the right shots at goal or giving yourself enough opportunities. Now, I'm not talking, you know, having 55 or sorry, having 50 odd inside 50s. I'm saying, are you able to generate enough proper shots at goal? Okay. Or those that register scores, at least to say, Yes, there's something working with there. Just tinker it a little bit, and then it will turn. So what do we have in the first quarter? What, two goals, six or something? 3-7 it was. 3-7, thank you. So first, we've got two, six, yeah. The first, yeah, the first six, six scores behind. were behind. So after that, we yes. were 17-10. <laughs> and they were actually the easier shots, to be honest. Uh, as the match progressed, we started actually nailing the uh, the more difficult ones, which is which is very pleasing to see for, for us, to see that, uh, um, that things are starting to at least turn in that right direction. So... Yeah, three seven. 
could have could have been a little bit better in that side of things. But you know, if you're having ten shots a goal in the first quarter of any quarter, that says the opposition is very much under the pump. And that game, not that it could have been put to bed early, but we could have already had a very very handy lead. And with the way that the game was you know being played, I probably think that that first quarter that we put up. Just humor me if you think this is wrong. I think it was actually more impressive than our first quarter against them in that respective final last year. I thought we were more opportunistic in that final in terms of the first quarter in comparison to the style of play that we put forward in the opening term of this uh, of this particular round. Um, it seemed a bit more akin to the style or to, to the way that we would like to play our footy more so than last year's um, opening term. Well, what was it? it? Was it was five five? We kicked in the first quarter last year. Yes, and we did. We, yes, we, we kicked did. three seven on Friday. So still, still generated ten scores in both of them. I think Fremantle kicked uh, one point, maybe two. Yep. In that final, and and they kicked three goals one. So they they had uh, a few more scoring opportunities. Uh, uh, they were a lot more opportunistic night. in this sense, yeah. though. No, I yeah, I I I, I, so I suppose I can understand your point. There was a there was a little bit of a smash and grab, bit of an ambush sort of feel to it that final. Whereas this one didn't feel like an ambush. It just felt like we were a better side. Yes, they, exactly, exactly, which was very very pleasing to see. Just some felt of the, like just, we were ready for it. Just on the just you just mentioned the points. I, I might just go through them as well because there are a few players who could have had uh, real bags. Uh, Rory Lobb, Cody Waitman, and Jamari Hagen each kicked three behinds. Norton kicked two, uh, Caleb Daniel, uh, Oscar Baker, Arthur Jones each kicked points. And I think if, uh, if we've got all that there, then there must be two rushed behinds as well. I think that takes us to 16. So it was a bit of an even contribution across the board on that front. But that was the, un- that was the only blight on the performance. There were so many positives to take out of this game, not just the fact that we got an interstate win, not just the fact that we're able to sort of exercise the the demons from last year's elimination final, but also the fact that, and this was really crucial, I think, during the second and the third quarters, that Fremantle challenged us twice. So in the second quarter, we started really well. We got out to a bit of a three or four goal lead. Then Fremantle got three goals in a row. And that's the number that I tend to say effectively you're at least back in the hunt. Now, and it's, you know, it's, it's different levels of momentum. So to be able to shut that down. Now, a couple of weeks ago, if this was the Richmond game, that would have been five, uh, six, seven goals before half was not time. Fun to, that was not fun to watch that but particular second quarter. <laughs> what, was, what, was, what was key in this is not only did we actually stop Fremantle at three in a row, what was perhaps more important is we got two back before half time. Lob and Liberatore each got goals before half time, and Very that turned what could have goals. been. And I think they, I think they might have sort of drawn the margin to within a kick. But despite their momentum and despite their dominance in the second half of the second term, we still managed to hold on to that two to three goal lead heading into half time. <coughs> so we got it mm. back on our terms again, and that's been a real challenge for the Bulldogs in recent years. When, they've, when sides have taken it to them and sides have got the game on their terms, the Dogs haven't been able to wrest momentum back, but they managed to do so on Friday night, not once, but twice. They did it in the third term as well. You'll remember Rory Lobb missed that shot from about 28 directly in front. Frere got the other end to get a goal, and you feel like, all right, this is... Oh, uh, I was yeah. Bitter, yeah. annoyed about that particular one. Well, uh, that sort of felt like at that stage, well, this could be a, a big moment in the match. But we managed to get... Uh, again, we managed to get a goal back before three-quarter time. 
Oddly enough, it was it was in very similar circumstances to how we gave up a crucial goal to Fremantle in the final last year, a fight during a, a little break in play. I don't know if you noticed that. I do. I was definitely thinking about it as well as a couple of other things. There was the absence of Zane Cordy pointing to the scoreboard. So fortunately, that didn't happen uh, on this occasion as well. Oh, we just but, had Aaron Norton celebrating with the crowd this time. Yes, that, that, that was far more appropriate in that sense. But yes, and I definitely took note of that, uh, that particular fight because I know you and I, when we were watching it um, at the Railway Hotel last year, um, you and I and a couple of others were, were flipping over saying like, forget the fight, focus on the ball. Yeah. And oh, crying out loud, well, Clearly, Fremantle uh, decided to uh, not listen to us from six or seven months ago instead. No. But it was a bit interesting to see. I, I can understand what they're trying to, what they were trying to achieve, Fremantle. But I'm a bit perplexed by it. Can you? Not it the felt idea. A, it felt a bit mm. fabricated. It did. It did. That's what. That's what I'm getting at here, though. Like it, for instance, compare the compare the two situations. The Bulldogs lose Josh Dunkley. Yeah. Okay, we've got a best of Ferris. We've got a premiership winner. We've got a AA caliber type footballer, someone who's fully or was at the time fully ingrained in the culture. Over um, hundred games. Know, a, a, over hundred games, top shelf player at the club. You know, yeah. in our top ten or so footballers. Okay, at the with the current list, he's Rory. Clearly, to them, Lob has scarred them in a different sense. But you've got to be joking to think that the impact that Lobs had at that club over this respective <coughs> 2019, 2021, 20, and or those four years that he was there, that it's made them think, how dare you, you know, like it's mm. like shooting Bambi, for instance, you know. Yeah. This is someone that they themselves, that some of the fan base itself haven't particularly rated as highly. So personally, look, if I was a, if he wasn't coming to us, I would have said, look, he's a good footballer, but you can put your resources to, to better use in that sense. But it's not like, you know, say, it's not like Nathan Fife requesting a trade, you know, which is going to no. burn the joint down. That's Or, or for instance, Adam Chera, where, you know, they had a young star on the rise disappearing, or even Brad Hill. Those sort of situations made sense for them to show that aggression and and, and anger, I reckon, and resentment to, to the footballer. But I think it's a bit uh, you know, a bit far-fetched to, to throw that uh, particular ball at Rory Lobb of all players. Well, we we had we spoke with Duck from the, the Purple Rain podcast last year in the lead-up to the final, and we talked a little bit about Lobb because, you know, the rumours had been swirling around that he was likely to, to oh, make it. And even the year before, too. Yeah, but he was well. No, but we we spoke to to Duck about Lob last year specifically, and, mm. and the way he talked about it, he didn't sound like a player that had ingratiated himself all that well with the fan base. He said no, the only, no, the only thing that, the that Lob, yeah, that he did say that, and the, and the other thing he said was the only thing that Rory Lob has, has got for him is being tall. Now that doesn't sound like the sort of player that yeah. you'd be too upset seeing go. And no, think... Longmuir mentioned it too, though, in the post game. He did state we are missing that type of. You know, tall player, which is coincidentally there's Rory Lobb. There's a difference between missing them as, but like missing that sort of type of player and missing the the name. Mm. Like we, I mean, I mean, all right, maybe let's go for a more extreme example. When Gary Ablett left Geelong, like obviously any club's going to miss you know a player like Gary Ablett, but there was that extra connection that Gary Ablett had with <coughs> the fans and with the club, and they yep. lost that as well. And you don't get that just with any sort of player. And I can't no. think of a player that's ever defected to another club and the response from the opposition fans has been to brew a beer. It is a very unique uh, approach, I reckon. And we, we did, uh, and we did we did poke a, a little bit of fun 
at the the podcast that that did do that and and their their reply was you know true to the taste of the beer it was quite salty uh, as it was but Indeed, yeah, anyway, we we're, still, we're still we're still waiting on that shipment but but anyway but I, I thought yeah I thought the aggression that they showed towards lob was a, was a bit fabricated I don't think it changed mm. the result I think are the you saying was it was sort of, sort of like the are you saying it's sort of like WWE which is pretty fake or not <laughs> <laughs> uh, just there you go. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I've been, I've been told that that may not actually be real. That WWE stuff. Uh, uh, who would have guessed? Yeah. And, and, and anyway, I thought no. I, I thought there was so many positives to take away from the performance at three and three, given the wretched fortnight that we suffered to start the season. The following uh, month, we've beaten three of last year's finalists: Richmond, yep. Brisbane, and now Fremantle. We were ahead in the last quarter on the road against Port Adelaide. Probably, I mean, we'll definitely could have won that match. We're good enough to win it, and the chances were definitely there. A team that's made two of the past uh, three prelims, mm-hmm. that is, in Port, of course. So three, three, out of, three out of the last four could have possibly been four from four. Are we starting, are the, are the dogs <coughs> starting to win back a bit of trust now? Yes, you sent me a message earlier, or the back end of a, last week of course we're uh, recording this on a tuesday at the moment so due to commitments um yeah you sent me a message what for reliability and credibility so this is this is your theory so you say when when it comes to a team wanting to prove itself as a premiership contender there's two types of tests there's Mm. tests of uh reliability and there's tests of legitimacy that's the one legitimacy thank you so that the tests of reliability are are against the sides that you should be so we're talking teams that aren't going to make finals Whereas yes. the tests of legitimacy are those where you're up against sides that are vying for that flag as well. And, Indeed. And if we're just looking ahead to the next month, the next two games are tests of reliability in terms of Hawthorne here at Marvel Stadium and then the Giants at Giant Stadium. And then the following two weeks after that are tests of legitimacy. We play Adelaide and Ballarat and we play Carlton. Yes. Now, that doesn't mean Adelaide's a flag threat by any means, but it's clear to see they aren't a, a bottom four side. So no. it's a match that deserves to be taken with, with the utmost respect, especially considering they uh, you know, pipped us uh, last year, didn't they, which, uh, which was a bit of a shock to the system. Yeah. But mm, we'll have to see how those goes because those are two games that, again, not, they're not make or break the season, but they can at least show that those, uh, those eight-point games, you know, where they mean a lot and they can count for a lot in terms of the difference to twice, say, finishing with a with a home final of some sorts, be it in the top four, or playing an away final, which is what we've done the last few occasions, haven't we? It would be very nice to see us actually have a you know a Melbourne based final again. It's been a good few years since uh, since that's happened, and we'd much very much to, so we'd much like to see our boys play in that. Here's a question for you, just off the cuff. Mm. When was the last time we played a final in Melbourne? Yes, it has been quite some time. Clearly, it wasn't twenty twenty one, and mm-hmm. well, last year it wasn't twenty twenty, and it wasn't uh, wasn't twenty nineteen. It's the uh, particular wonderful day, wasn't it? It was the twenty sixteen grand final. It Hard was. To believe, it's been isn't a it? Long given, time. given that we've played in the last four final series, indeed, which is which equals for what it's worth, it equals the club record at the moment. If we make finals mm. this year, and we haven't really discussed the prospect of making finals this year all that much. No, we'll, we'll give, I'd say you and I could, should give it a month. Give it a month. We don't yeah. mention that word. We wait one month. But if, if, if it does happen, it'll be the longest consecutive streak of finals appearances that we've made five years in a row. 
with uh -huh. four years a couple of times, I think. Maybe yep. only even once, but never five. Uh, let me see. 97, 97 to 2000. 2000. Yeah, yeah. I think that was it. I think that was the only that one. Probably, that probably is about it. The well, 40s was every second year, and the 50s we got, what, three and 50, four years? 53, 54, not 55, but 56. Yeah, yeah we got pretty close, 57 as well. So, well, in terms of yeah. so in terms of consistency and ability, it's it's a mixture of the it's, – it's probably the one of the greatest years that the club's ever had in terms of being a good side but being a consistent side. Mm -hmm. I mean, which is a little ironic when you consider the inconsistencies that play, have plagued the side for much of the past twelve months. But they have they they've still been good enough to make finals. But at the very least, mm -hmm. they were good enough despite to make finals the flaws. Last year. Yeah, despite the flaws. Going back through history, Nick, we need to discuss this. We need to revisit this topic this week because it's already been put to me by a couple of people. I was asked. Yes, and I'm, I'm ho I was hoping you would raise this topic. I was asked about this. Well, I, I made this point when I, I chatted to Duck from the Purple Rain last week, and a couple of people have asked this on the fan Q&A. Where does Marcus Bontempelli sit on the all-time list of dogs currently? So 199 games in his <coughs> career. If I've got it right, we had this similar discussion when he played his 150th a couple of years ago. Indeed, we did. You said he was certainly in the top 10, as it mm -hmm. stood. But if we're going to measure players solely across their first 150 games, he's a clear number one. Now, yes, that, is, that the, is identical words. Now, I want you to dismiss the over the course of a player's first 200 games. Take everyone's completed CVs, stack them against Bond and Pelly, take their completed, their whole impact for the club across their career, stack it against what Bond and Pelly has put on the table thus far. Where does the bond rank? I think the real question in this sense is here, which I will definitely agree in this in this side here, Matt. But I think the question is, you've just spoken about a little bit about this particular, it's not that it's a massive error, but the fact is what the club's been able to do the last four years, what the club's been able to do for the most part over the last, you know, since Beveridge arrived, since Bontempelli has arrived. Now, I've mentioned to my father, um, about certain players that have come up in the system over the last, you know, few decades, and you know, from from draft picks and such, and those that whose integration into those particular football clubs have pretty much shaped them, or you know, taken them on a, on a seismic shift, you know, from what their culture was at, or you know, changes their their state of the club. You know, we got to see Chris Judd do that at the West Coast. We got to see Joel Selwood do that. We're starting to technically see that with Nick Dacos oh, at Magpies. That's not technically. We're starting to, I know. We're in about that, two years. Two years he's, doing, he's doing you know, amazing just, things. Just on a sidetrack, just on a sidetrack mm -hmm. with Nick Dacos, there are only two players who I think in the history of the game who have had better starts to a career than Dacos. He's played 31 games. Mm -hmm. Hayden Bunton Sr. had won his second Brownlow medal by his 32nd game. And, uh, and didn't poll any votes after his 31st game. So he'd already wrapped up his second Brownlow by his 31st game. John Coleman had kicked 163 goals after game 31. Nick Dacos would be next. In terms of a player's first 31 games, that, that's, the, that's the sort of air that he is in now, just as a, as a little yes. sidetrack, but continue. If only, no, no, you're right. If only he was actually uh, bidded on appropriately in that particular draft. So, <laughs> yes. cheers, GWS. Cheers, North Melbourne. I mean, and he was saying, oh. four. just imagine how good Sam Darcy's going to be. 
Oh, we got not not for not for Darcy's sake. I'm just stating, but that's absolutely yeah. ridiculous. That yeah. um, I know there was you know certain dealings or whatnot, but um, yes, continue. And then of course, um, Lance Franklin was the other in terms of the modern footballers as candidates that have uh, not after thirty one just completely not after thirty one games, but in terms of those that have been drafted within their side within a season or two or whatever it is that have just changed it. And Bontempelli is obviously amongst that and definitely in the top echelon there. Mm. Um, people might say, you know, what about you know Dustin Martin? What about you know Luke Hodge and stuff and brilliant footballers, but uh, I seem to recall it took uh, Dustin about six or so years before he really hit his straps and changed Richmond. And Hodge too, you know, the first four or five years were a bit steady going, to say the least. Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think the best answer for this one here, Matt, for, regarding Bonson Pelly is he's clearly become the Bulldogs legend. It is now up to the club and the rest of the team to turn him into an AFL legend. I think you, and, that, been, and that involves getting another premiership. You've been Can't doing be, this. You've, you've this been is this is how it is. This is yeah, definitely because we know how good he is. As it, he's already now. This is it. So, like the worst case scenario, if you're doing a Western Bulldogs player draft, and you had anyone you could take, you know, from one through to however many blokes we've had, you know, one thousand and forty-seven or whatever it is, something like that. Um, obviously, the bond's going at minimum, or the worst case scenario, pick three, and best case, a best case scenario, he's going pick one. That's probably a better way of doing it. If you were to line up every single player who's played for the Bulldogs and we do a draft style, and you've got pick one, who are you taking? Yeah, the only options that I could, in terms of that, I would argue to throw, you know, a blanket over is Hawkins or a prime. Calvin Templeton, I reckon. People will also throw Wooden's name up in that mix too. And I'm debating to see whether I would consider Grant's a pick one, but I don't know. I've done if I would do that. I think for those players that I have mentioned that, they are the options for pick one. Okay, but, so let, let's uh, just just go through them. So you've said Bonte yeah, Kelly, right. Hawkins, yep. a prime Templeton. Calvin Templeton, Witten, and Grant. So there's five. I'm debating Grant's, but he's probably, in terms of my, and as good as a football he was, I don't know if I want to see the idea of saying, like, pick one with him. I would definitely put him within the top. I'll put him within, you know, happily take him to pick five or or in that sense. I just don't know if I want to use pick one on him. But those other four, yeah, happy to do that. See, if if, if I had pick one, I wouldn't hesitate making, taking Bontepelli. He is, yeah. for, he is, for me, already the greatest player that the Bulldogs have ever had. He's the greatest Bulldog we've ever had, actually. I'll, I'll go one step further. He's the He's not just the greatest player. He's the greatest Bulldog that we've ever had. And I'll people, happily, I'll, I'll take that on. I'll, and people, I'll back that. People will always say, but what about Witten? I, I think he overtook Witten two years ago, frankly. I think so that, you did mention that then? Yeah. I, I, Witten never had a campaign like Bontempelli did in 2021. And, you know, it, it, you change a, a, just, you just got to change a couple of things here and there. And that campaign turns into a Brownlow Premiership winning Norm Smith medalist. Then, just, just, then he becomes, then he becomes, uh, yeah. then he becomes the undisputed. Like he was, and he was at that second, time, he already then becomes an AFL legend. Yeah, he was second in just about wow. everything that that season. He was, you know, he, he had the Brownlow right up until the very end. You know, he was he was uh, the captain in, in the side that came runner up in the grand final. He would have been leading the Norman Smith Medal at half time, halfway through the third quarter. We know all about that. Witten never had a campaign like that, and and he even did, did he even win the if you don't mind, he was also named vice captain in the AA team. Montepelli, yes. Yes, he was. So there you go. Yeah. He missed out on a 
he just also yeah. fell short of another yeah. accolade. So it was a, it was like the most nearly season of all time that one. If you look at the CV, if you want to just compare the raw CV between Witten and Bontebelli, obviously Witten's played more games, kicked more goals. I think he's got one more best and fairest on, on Bontebelli. They may be level on that front. I'm not sure. Was it Both, five to? It is five to four. Yes, I, I, I think so. It could be four all. I'm not not a hundred percent sure on that one, but it, yeah, it, it's it's within one at this stage, and Bond's still got you know half a career to go, just about. Both Premiership players, both captains in a in a grand final side. But I would say, and, and this is where Bontempelli is the best bulldog of all time, comes into it. Witten's tenure as a leader of that club, and this will sound sacrilegious and there'll be Dogs fans throwing their phones all over the place. This, this will just be like naming McRae on the bench, I reckon. Yeah. Witten's, um, about Witten's, six years ago. Witten's leadership, Witten's tenure as leader, captain and coach at the Dogs was terrible. It was shocking. He was captain... For his, he captained the dogs to more wooden spoons than he did finals campaigns. Yep, we had a over thirty-seven percent win-loss record. I something think. like that. He had, a, and this is over the course of fifteen years. This is not a small sample size. Yes, we played in. Uh, when was it? From nineteen fifty-seven to nineteen seventy-one, uh, I think. Actually, seventy-one. Even. That. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, there was only uh, one respective final series. Well, there was only one final series period. Nine six pretty much. No, no, yep. no. Definitely, there, that was the only time was we made finals in that whole stretch. Yep. We won the wooden spoon in nineteen fifty nine and nineteen sixty one. Sorry, nineteen sixty seven. Sorry, nineteen sixty. That's very impressive. Grand finals and, final and wooden spoon. spooners. Well, Fitzroy, Fitzroy won the wooden spoon and the flag in nineteen sixty. Indeed, they did. The round robin flag. It can nineteen sixteen. Yeah, the round robin flag. Witten was coach for most of those years. I think there was. I think Charlie Sutton sixty seven and sixty eight or something like that. Yeah, um, but you speak about Bond and Pelly's ability to. I mean, not on his own, but he instigated the transformation of that club from when Luke Beveridge. And Bob Murphy, coach and, and captain, Rolls. Bontebelli was a big part of changing the face of the club. Yes, the legacy is still there for him. It's still yeah. very much it's nowhere near the final stage. You know, this this chapter at this point of his career is yet to be written, but he is definitely, obviously, making a a greater name for himself than he already is. is now, this, yeah, I, I, oh, Nick, just... yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I, I said, I said, like I said, I said this a couple of years ago. Bontebelli is the best that the dogs have ever had. As a player, as a leader, he's got everyone covered. And if we're going to do a draft, I'm taking him with my first pick. If you want to take mm. Templeton at pick one, that's fine. I'll, I'm, I'll de- take I'm debating. I'm debating. I just know that how good Templeton would have been. Would have been such a pleasure to have watched him. Um, then again, I remember mentioning these ideas to you about Templeton, you know, pre- oh, when was it? This is early days podcast, I think, would have been mm. a player that we could have used from the, from the previous era. Because yeah. um, we obviously needed a centre forward, forward at that time. Yes. Uh, yeah, we've no. got a pretty handy one in, in Aaron Norton as well and Jamara, which we'll tap into a little bit later, I think. Just just on just another one on Bontepelli going rather than looking at uh Bont or rather sorry, rather than just looking at Bontepelli across the whole career and the whole history of the club and just his performance on Friday night. And it's only six games. But which version is better? Marcus Bontempelli of 2021 or the Marcus Bontempelli of 2023? They're not the same Bont. I was thinking no, about no, how... No, they are not. I was thinking no. about how to describe it. How to, how to describe the difference. 
Bontempelli of 2021 felt like a player who who sort of said said to himself, I'm the best in the competition and I'm just going to enjoy this and just have fun carving up the opposition every week. And I'm just I'm just going to show off how good I am by just doing all 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 the highlight show real stuff, which isn't it's it's not it's not a bad thing, but that that's sort of what it felt like. It just felt like a bot that was just toying with the opposition and, and having fun. This Bontempelli feels like a Bontempelli that says, "I'm the best player in the competition, and I am just going to shove everyone around and just show how good I am and just really mean business." There is going to be no Mister Nice Guy. I am going to. I am the best player in the competition, and I'm going to show up by throwing my weight around. Do you recall? I, I feel like what's probably the term to describe this? Just while you're thinking about I've, that, I've, his numbers. I feel like. His numbers, 31 disposals, 18 of them contested at 80% efficiency, 10 tackles, six of them inside 50. Leading on the ground. He's a midfielder. Getting six tackles inside the 50, just on his own. Teams struggle to get that across the course of a game. He had eight clearances, three of them centre clearances, nine score involvements, seven inside 50, six marks, two of them contested, which were both inside 50 as well, I believe, five intercepts, two goals, 528 metres gained, which was a team high. He had three rebounds from the 50. He had 13 ground ball gets, had four score launches and six one percenters. Hmm. I'll and just further hyphen those and, numbers too, Matt. And I'm going to tell you, he got three Brownlow votes. He's on at least nine I think he should get all six at the moment, but uh, we'll see what happens. Look, let's roll off a bit more. The player ratings, of course, have been introduced yeah. for a number of years. He is, oh, crying out loud. We're talking up, uh, let's have a look. 2021, he was going at 17.16. This year, he's going at 21.73. Oh, my God. Not that we determine super coach, but what the heck, who cares? Uh, 119 versus 128. We will also go with uh, an average for coaches' votes per game. I still think he got robbed in the port match. Uh, 4.31 versus 5.5. The Let's have a look. Disposals are pretty much on par. Disposal efficiency is plus 7 off this year. Kicking efficiency is also plus 7 on this year. Even his handball efficiency has gone up by plus 4. Uh, what else have we got? To be fair, his meters gained has dropped down a little bit. So um, he is sitting roughly at, what is it, five meters short per disposal that he's earned oh, this year. Okay. Yep, so that's uh, <laughs> just disgraceful there. Delist him. Um, what else have we got? Here's, here we are. You mentioned the term nasty or nastier. Yeah. He is now reaching, or he's now got career high average in terms of contested possessions it's roughly 33 percent or 34 percent up on his career average of 10.9 it's now 14.5 for this respective season contested possession uh ratio for his disposals is sitting at nine percent more than his career average of 45 that is one from these situations it's sitting at 54 percent in 2021 he was only going at he was actually going to the lowest of his career 39.9 yeah, this We're is playing this, is, a, this is a no more mm, Mr. Nice guy. Yes, line. ground ball gets eight point eight in twenty in twenty twenty three to six point six. It's here we go. Send a bounce attendances. This is another one. We're going to love this. Nineteen on average, at least per game, which is fantastic to see compared to twelve point six. This is of course only th- these 
that particular statistic that has only been um, listed over the last few years, though. So unfortunately, we can't tell you what he would have done in the early stages of his career. But it's fair to see that he's uh, each year since it's just been a progressive jump in that this, sense. This so is, this yeah. is a this is a nasty bot mm. who is yes, and, and some of the some of the games he's played. Some of the games he's played this season, some of his performances have, have felt like a, I'm not walking off this ground without the four points. No, we sort of saw that. Against, we saw that against Brisbane. Points. He was mm. he was excellent against Richmond. He was phenomenal for three quarters against Port Adelaide until they took him off and chucked him the foil. I don't know what was going That's on. That's probably they cost him the ten votes and yeah. off the four points. Yeah, and then he's just gone again on on Friday night with one one of the tackles. Like, Seven and a half to four point nine a couple of years ago. Twenty seventeen, he did average yeah. six point three though. So this, this, this is, is a really, really. This is the stuff. very best bond of Burley we've ever seen. This is this yep, is an injury free bond as well because he carried a few knocks and niggles from all, across the course of pretty much all of last year. But this is a bond of Pelly that, that's at his very best. This is a bond of Pelly that knows he's trying to make sure he wins this flag as well. Yeah, and saying. Hang on a moment. I've lost a couple of teammates in this uh, last little, uh, you know, six or so months. Stuff that I'm just going to take it all on myself. Yeah, you know, someone someone did send a. Um, I think I think it might have been Mitch. Is Mitch Wind is a regular contributor to the Salty Bulldog. Thank you, name joins for Salty Bulldog TV. He said he was a bit worried about the over reliance on the bomb, which I can understand. But if you're gonna if you're gonna rely on someone, rely on a gun. Don't rely on a, a ruckman who's still four years away from, you know, playing his absolute best football in the ruck. Pin your hopes on a gun. Do you, do you think – this is not a coincidence in this sense, but this is pretty much what we've been waiting to see, the idea of uh, – this is what we were wishing to. I'll say this now. If only we were getting the 2023 English a few years ago. The 2021. Or even the 2019 yeah, midfield and how that was dominating. Yeah. That was just imagine we oh for crying out loud, dogs. It shows, it shows uh, you uh, how hard it is to win a flag because you need everything to align. <sighs> and you know if, if one piece isn't isn't there, it can throw the mm. whole thing out the window. It can. Uh, we've, we've indulged a lot in in Bont and Pally. We we really do need to to move mm. on. The temple of Bont and Pally is open for all. It, it, it is jump on board. He's got at least nine votes. He's probably even got some from the Port Adelaide match. Uh, some news though, some not so good news for being one of his midfield compatriots. Tom Libertore has entered into concussion protocol protocols rather following his head knock last week, so he won't play against Hawthorne, which is a bit of a shame. Uh, Latham Vandermeer made his return in the VFL and uh, he celebrated it by suffering some uh, rib damage. So he's going to miss yes. a couple of weeks. That That's a South Park meme. What is it? And it's gone. And it's, it's gone. Very, it's, yep. Yeah, and it's gone. It's very much symbolic of, uh, uh, unfortunately, Latham Vandermeer at this moment. And Bailey Smith will be considered for selection if he gets through training on Wednesday. He's missed the last couple of weeks with a mm. calf complaint. Mm. So in terms By the time of this the, episode gets uploaded, I'm not sure. We would have already found out whether he's playing or not, but uh, touch wood, he is. So in terms of the injury list at the moment, Bailey Smith is listed as a test, liberatory one to two weeks. He's, he's in it's at least one week. Harvey Gallagher, two to three, the next Sean Burgoyne. Rourke Smith was about three weeks away, five weeks ago. He's now five to seven weeks away. Uh, Riley Garcia and Don Bedendo are both six to eight weeks away. Josh Bruce has had a timeline set on his return from his rib knock. He's, uh, well, I say knock. Is four to eight weeks, and Vandermeer they're still not sure on. So a few players there that you probably want to get back into the side sooner rather than later, and then and a couple that will help bolster the socks of the VFL side as well. Who replaces Libba? 
Mm. Assuming, assuming, assuming that Smith doesn't get up, because I think if he does, that, that's an obvious one. I want you to put a little bit more thought into this. If you, if you can't yeah, have Bailey Smith, not that I would really want Bailey Smith in the midfield anyway. The balance seems to be pretty good with him out of there, but you're not going to not pick him. But I would like to see him go back to that sort of half-forward role that he played during the 21 final series, which was... Yeah, yes, that would be quite nice. Very good. Yeah, that would come in handy. Yeah, so those extra goals, uh, well, those four goals would be very, very pleasant. Averaging two um, goals a game. What could we? What could we do? I'd love to. I'd love to well, just see well, them just just give Riley West mm, a chance. That's that's what I want to see. That is what I want to see because we're losing at this point in time our second best defensive midfielder yeah. in terms of those that apply the uh, pressure points. Okay, or the pressure acts as well in that sense. And Bontempelli is very very good at that, but uh, we can't have him just making up the slack for Libba. And this might be how would I say? The little fire starter that might ignite West. Now, he hasn't been playing great football, unfortunately, in the VFL, but we have seen him play a great... Uh, he's played some very good football in, in the same side up forward. To be fair, he's had plenty of mates, yes. Unfortunately, the VFL that just hasn't got the job done. But I want to see, because we're losing an extractor this week. Now, we know what Riley West can do, hunt the ball. Mm. And we've seen this might be something that gives him the little rocket actually start applying particular levels of pressure. Not saying that you're tack- that he's tackling and he's not chasing. It's more to see how do you position yourself at certain stoppages? How do you prevent someone from getting through you? Now he's got he's got a very good tackling technique. Hmm. Would be interesting to see because he hasn't had the opportunity to play as a midfielder. No, yes, with this team. but I would, I would, I would like to see them give him the the chance. And I know there's been reasons for that, and clearly the midfield has been a big part of that reason. But I would like to, I would like to just see them say, no, you know what, right? We're going to give, we're going to put a bit of faith in you this week, and we're going to see how you go mm. in the midfield. In, in your spot, you've been fighting your time for a while, but you know, we've got a game against Hawthorne. Got to, we've, we've got to put someone in there, and I think Riley is the the best candidate for that sort of liberal role. Yes, that's specifically the the case in question here. That there is different different footballers at times, but mm. the tenacity is is there that they each represent. Mm, definitely. Would you make probably you probably wouldn't, but I'll ask you anyway. Would you make any other changes? Mm. I I, I wouldn't. I don't think there was anyone who. who deserves to be dropped after that performance. I, if I go through every single player in the team, I thought they all played their role. I wouldn't change that side. I'm trying to wonder in terms of the... The only one, the only one sub. was... The, yeah, the what only would I do one with was, the sub? The only, one, the only one was McLean who was subbed out. He didn't have a great game. But no, and McNeil was actually very handy when McNeil he came was, on. McNeil was, yeah. Oh, he, his last call was actually really good. I, I think he each of his disposals resulted in a score. Hmm. One of which was a, was a goal of his own, so he had a huge impact off the bench. Yes, yes, we we like we like Lockie McNeil hmm. at the club here, and it's interesting to see that we went with the uh, the three small approach, wasn't it? Yeah. Hmm. That's probably the only thing at the moment, isn't it? We're very tricky to see for McLean, unfortunately, in that sense, because it's just been a it's just been tough. But look, good on him for getting to hundred games. We're all very very happy at least that that's been able to get uh, get going for him, oh, considering. Yeah. Considering the last couple of years with those knee recos, so 
props to him for that, and we'll get to always remember him as a as a flag hero. And so ideally, it would be nice if he could also help us get another one. Uh, would be like, nice. Yeah, no that that would be that would be really good. Hopefully, he can he can uh, do it this year. But I, I think Liberatore for Bailey Smith would probably be the ideal change. And then try and, and then it's the matter of the subs. It's how how would we potentially throw Riley West in this mix because. Has it? He hasn't been great at the VFL level. Well, then again, as you look, alluded to, not a lot of players have. I wouldn't make another change. I wouldn't make another change. Replace Liberatore, but just leave it as is. I think McNeil is fine as the sub. Um, McLean, is, is. I think I'd give another chance to him on field. Uh, I know they've really struggled to sort of find a role for him, but I, I don't think anyone deserved to be dropped from, from last week's game. I thought they all contributed, some more than others, um, and not everyone had huge numbers on the disposal front, but I, I don't think that really matters. I think they all sort of played their role very, very well. I'm just sort of looking at the at the names now and yeah, no, there's there's no one I there's no one I would drop based off of that. I think they're, they're either too important or they or they had too too big an influence. I mean even somebody like uh, I mean even someone like Rory Lobb didn't have a great game, but he still could have kicked five if he had made the most of his opportunities. And, you know, Yuval Hagen and Cody Waitman, and they only combined for a goal between them, but they still had seven scores all up. So, really, it's only an issue of the fact that they didn't kick straight. That was the only that was the only problem. Johannesson, again, in the back line. Did you, did you hear what his partner said to Brian Taylor? In the uh, he did indeed. I, a particular choice. Um, maybe could have uh, waited for it, but, I, but I, I can see that the gist of it, because on probably both fronts, because... The reason why JJ was moved forward is because he was struggling down back. But the point is, yes, he was a fantastic player down there. So it's nice to see that this new lease of life didn't win uh, in him again didn't after a little while. He didn't win a Norm Smith in the, in the fourth pocket. I thought that was brilliant. Uh, just before no, imagine the, if he did. Ma- imagine if he did, though. It would have, would have been nice. would have been a, a much happier ending to uh, that grand final. Uh, just a quick wrap of the VFL scores. So Footscray had probably one of the worst last quarters of all time. A 10, 16, 76 yep. to 15, 12, 102 against Southport. It was a nine, sh- nine so shots of goal of I've 10 entries. It, I've got it here. So, Footscray, 10 shots on goal, zero goals, nine behinds, one no That's score. the one. Southport, they had six shots for five goals, one. Kicking efficiency in the last quarter was 73% to 23%. Beautiful. Uh, Luke Goda kicked three goals. Sam Darcy and Caleb Poulter kicked two. Uh, West, Petulo and Ballantyne each got uh, a goal individually. Uh, Lockie Sullivan, 28 disposals. Ewan McPherson, 25. Joel Garner, 19. Luke Cleary, 18. Hayden Crozier, 17. Robbie McComb, 16. And, you know, there was there was one bloke who really stood out in the first half in particular. And we've talked a bit about him a little bit. James O'Donnell. Had a very good first half playing down back. I'm not sure how much of the game that you saw in the end, Nick, from the VFL. But I've just got O'Donnell's numbers up here. Uh-huh. And he had 15 disposals, 8 marks. Wearing the, wearing the number 19, incidentally. Now, he can't wear that if we're going to... I don't think he's going to be recalled or called into the senior side this week. But he hasn't been given a number yet. We'll keep an eye on that. But I, I agree that there's no one who performed well enough in the VFL that I'd be bringing in this week. Hmm. About this, this though, yeah. And, and Riley, wanna, Riley wanna... West, for what it's worth, because we did sort of mention him, uh-huh. uh, he, yes, had, he, he had 14 disposals, five tackles, one goal, three. 
Okay. Let's talk about these things, actually, here. Now, we're starting to generate, again, a few more shots of goal, which is always quite nice. Mm -hmm. Who do you think has been given the keys to the forward line at this point in time, please? AFL? Yes. AFL level? For us. I, yeah, I still think Norton. I still think Norton. He's kicked 11 goals. He's leading the club's goal king. I think he's taken the most marks inside 50. I think Eugle Hagen mm -hmm. is second in pretty much all those categories. And, and third for marks inside 50, I think, of the club is Bailey Williams, of all people, whose game was actually really good on, on, on Friday night. We haven't spoken about that. I, I think that's his best game since the grand final. Yes, it would be. It's been uh, nice to see... Uh, old sideburns return to the form that he has displayed in the past. Do, but, do you uh, think? Do you think? What? Do you think this could be this could be it for him now that he managed to play a, a, a good game at an important time on that ground? Or I'm trying to wonder into how if it happened, but uh, I think we'll find out better. I think we'll find a better answer over the next two weeks for him because clearly he's pretty committed in a lot of things. You know, he's always been a player that's had a lot of flair. He is an unrestricted free agent, so we have no opportunity to match, unfortunately, in this case. But, look, it would make sense because if he wasn't our top 10 paid players, well, um, Sam Powell would be doing the books a bit wrong in that sense. But uh, I don't think Sam Powell is unprofessional. That's and Sam Powell is a, a fine, fine list manager in this context. Uh, what I want to notice here is that you mentioned Norton there. Now, Jamara's had 22 shots at goal. Norton's had 19. Now, the annoying factor is here, though, uh, Jamara's only been able to uh, accurately kick six goals of those 22. So he's kicked... That factors in 11 behinds and five no scores. So you kick the five goals against Brisbane and he's kicked one goal in the, in the rest of the games. Are you concerned yes. about that inaccuracy or do you think it's just a, a temporary form thing? I think it's probably coming with a particular different role that he's playing a lot higher up now, where you are able to see his marking ability across the, the ground, which is really, really pleasing to see a lot of our you know forwards actually have the the ability to, to not only take a mark, but actually help us win the ball back between the arcs or allow us to get from the defence 50 to the forward 50 in, in one or two kicks. Now... It is a bit strange to see that in terms of the uh, the particular ratings, I think it was. Um, I'm pretty sure Jamara was one of the, the lowest rated players on the ground, respectively. I but yeah, I, I disagree. I with thought that. he it's was really I thought well. he was a bit better than that, to be honest. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I mean maybe he didn't finish off the opportunities, but I thought he was really important in the forward line. Hmm. So if I can find him, give me a second here. But I, I still Ooh, think that the, that the forward line revolves around Norton. I still think he's the focal point. But I think Jamara is starting to make a name for himself in terms of being able to, you know, being a focal point as well. Like he's a, he's a legit option. Go. Rather than Here a, we go. Yeah, he's, he's starting Negative to... 2.9. Starting to graduate from being the you know the, the promising talent or the potential, and he's starting to become a... a a reliable sort of target, even if he, even if the goals aren't necessarily flowing just yet. Mm -hmm. No, no, that's a fair point in that sense too. It's ironic that the two worst, uh, the two of our uh, worst players on the ground, um, respectively, or sorry, our three worst players on the ground were respectively uh, Rory Lobb, Toby McLean, and uh, Jamara in this context. Mm. So it is interesting to see though that looking at it, we've we've got. Uh, 
Sean Darcy from the Dockers obviously dominated that opening quarter, rating of 9.5 of his player points coming there. That was, English a, seven. That was a fantastic contest mm. between, the, between I, the two. It was. This, this is where the game changed, though. This is how it happened. So Darcy, come halftime, had a play ratings points of 16.8. Okay? Let's go to Tim English. 10.3 at halftime. Right. Effectively, the second half, the numbers became very, very different in the sense to show the influence and English is now actually able to have not only as that midfielder type Ruckman, but as an actual Ruckman. He accrued 10.3, sorry, 10.5 points to Darcy's 1.9 in the second half. Right. He absolutely so he slaughtered him. Yeah. Worked him over and smacked him. And this is someone that that incinerated English in the final last year and probably did so a few weeks earlier in that, uh, uh, what do you call it, that retro, yeah, retro, yeah, retro clash. Match. No, English continues to, to impress. Do you, mm. Who do you reckon? Do you reckon English is still leading the best and fairest or do you reckon Bond has overtaken him? I reckon six. English at the moment. Give it yeah, another five weeks, so. then Bond. Yeah. I, think, I think those first two rounds, uh, Bond falling a bit quiet there. But I will say this up until this is because I don't know the uh, the rating specifically for the Anzac Day game with Nick Dacos. But uh, at least before the Anzac Day game, uh, Marcus Ponsonpelli had the highest rated game of the season. You know who was the second highest one? Our great oh, yeah. mate Tom Papley against uh, Richmond last week in Adelaide. So oh, yeah. That was, uh, yeah. that was infuriating us, so I'll tell you that. But, yes, uh, no, he had a, he had a, he had a pretty, decent, uh, pretty decent game there, Papley. We'll get into some of the questions now. Uh, so the first one here is from Glenn Mason. And he asks a question, what's your take on Arthur Jones's first few games? Can seem a bit lost and can panic with the ball. Is it time for him to build confidence in the VFL? Just get your thoughts on it firstly, Nick, because I've got something here as well that uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention in all this. Mm, I think uh, I think what we'll probably say for the for the both of us on my end though, I think we're very very happy with how Arthur Jones is going at the moment in the AFL level. Um, he's probably what ranked at least in his how many games he played three games now four four is four. it jeez yeah swifting through the matches at the moment Arthur Jones so he's still time for a rising star nomination. Um, I'd say. He's probably what lodged the better part of 160, maybe 170 or more uh, pressure acts, which is fantastic. And they will probably put him uh, at least in the top half dozen um, at the club in his respective time uh, since debuting. So in terms of pressure acts, he's clearly doing his part. It'd be nice if he could get that elusive goal at the moment. He hit the post and we were all thinking it's going to finally happen. And I uh, just fell, fell short in that sense. But no, I, I think I think he offers something that not only that like infectious energy that Whiteman brought to the table a couple of years ago, they offer the idea of natural forward craft. Now we haven't been able to see a lot of it, particularly from Arthur Jones at this moment, these front and center acts or these, you know, crafty small forward moments that he would he would generally display. But it's something that I think that is very, very close to to breaking, probably within the next couple of rounds, I think. I generally could see him getting a getting a nice little haul of goals. You know, it'll be it's at the moment he's sitting on zilch, but I feel like there's a three goal game around the corner for him. 
even last year, he was never really a big goal-kicking forward. Like, it would be one, maybe two goals a game. I can't remember mm. too often where he had that big bag. But I no, think, I think it's going to happen, though. I think it'll happen. I think we need Arthur Jones in the, in the side because he adds something that we don't really have in terms of, as you mentioned, a, a forward that can actually uh, apply pressure. I was getting it up. He's, his first game, I'll sort of give him a, a bit of a pass. Um, just due to the fact that, you know, it was, his, it was his first game and nerves can take over. But in the Richmond, what Adelaide and, and Fremantle games, in terms of pressure acts from the team, he's uh-huh. been fifth at the, in, 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 terms of a, in terms of a team ranking. He's applied the fifth most, the fifth most, and the fourth most. There you go. In the three games. Last three games. So I, I think he I think he's needed in the side because Waitman is a small forward, doesn't apply the pressure the way that Arthur Jones does. The talls aren't going to do it either, so I think he adds. I think he still adds a point of difference. And the suggestion that you know he, he panics when he when he's got the ball, I don't really see that. I mean, I I think I still think he's got one of the cleanest hands at, at the club. I don't think he's someone who fumbles the ball at all. So I, I don't know. I don't know if I really agree with that part. No, he's always been a pretty clean footballer. It's just a matter of him getting hands on the ball is the is the tricky part at the moment. But it's, it's something that we can still see that there's that raw particular talent unfolding for him. You know, he'll be one of those moments players where I think, he, I said, he can genuinely, I reckon, one will become two, which will become three. I sort of see him like a, I said, he's got to get the ball in hand though, but I think he'll have moments where, you know, like a fast bowler goes on a on, on a tearaway yeah, at that stage where they can get that run on. Yeah, yeah, I can see that sort of being the case with him, one of those momentum type players where they ship something, you know, a goal out of nothing, which we haven't had a lot of for these, uh, for our types of forwards at this point in time. I think the idea that you can see Arthur Jones when he's chasing, it's not necessarily just the one player. So he's trying to, you know, to, to, to steamroll one football with the ball in hand and then they dispose of it. And you see Arthur Jones yeah. again going to that particular play, then he disposes it and then he yeah. goes to the other one. He's going around like, you know, hungry, hungry hippo here. You know, it's all, it's all, a lot of tenacity and, of course, you know, fun energy. But it's nice to see that that someone, regardless, you know, it's sort of like you know the, it's sort of like that um, you know you're trying to play keepings off the you know the short kid in, in the group, you know, yeah. constantly tossing them around the pack. But he's still showing that energy and desire to say, I don't care, I want this ball, <laughs> which is really really nice to see. Carl asks, or sort of. Poses a, a stat: fourteen clearances from McRae. I think it's a club record since that. Stat that is correct. The dogs fourteen clearances from McRae. Do you think he listened to last week's episode? I reckon. I reckon he did. I reckon the club did, and so much so that uh, after Bonds and Pally's burst last week of getting to twelve, uh, the club decided to, of course, sit him on the pine for that final term, which cost him the record. But this week they rectified it and said, "Jacko, let's fly," and. How nice was it to see McRae back to doing what we know he, what he can do? Because yeah. there has been question marks on his you know, availability in terms of the, the centre-bounce attendance. We've sort of seen the club in recent years, um, especially this year, but last year definitely as well, where they've gone with the Trelaw, Libertore and Bontempelli trio, which, which has been a bit interesting to say the least. But nice to see Jacko actually getting back in amongst it, which... Which is what he deserves. He's yeah. been a fantastic player, and I'd like to see. We'll look to see him probably. Maybe it's not that we're necessarily looking to uh, to replace Liber per se. This week, we might just be upping those uh, midfield minutes for McRae right there too, because he does have aspects of being that defensive midfielder as well. 
because we've still got the attacking minds in Trelaw, and obviously Pontopalli's got, you know, again, those attributes as well, not only defensively. So it's interesting to see what might happen there. But um, no, f- fantastic game for him, and it's good to see him, good to see him back, because clearly he's a lot better, uh, he's a lot better footballer than, uh, you know, one touch in the fourth quarter last week. Yeah. Clearly. Oh, no, no doubt. But no, I mean, I, I, it was great to see him back to his best. It, re- it really was. Because uh, I, I think that's I think that's ultimately what we all wanted. You know, it wasn't a case of wanting to ride him off. It was just wanting to see him get back to his best. And, and we certainly saw that last week mm. against the Dockers. That's his best game for quite a while. Jez is, is, another, is another one who's uh, carrying on the theory that there might be those within the club listening to us. Just said, I reckon Bevo has been listening to the podcast. JJ back in defence, Hannon dropped, now McRae back in the middle, forward line better balance, lower the eyes going forward and hit targets. Is it fair to say that's the best our system has looked all year? Yeah. In a word, yeah. That's easily I think the best it, that we've looked this I year. I think it does. And I think it's probably a bit simplistic to throw a blanket. I've probably even thought about it myself until just literally 10 seconds ago where I was thinking, it's only Freo to an extent because considering what they've done. But then I look at it back and say, well, this is a mob that completely destroyed our system in a matter of 20 minutes last year. Yeah. And they sh- and they shut it down in a blink in that context. So it's really interesting to see how they how they went about it at this particular time. So, yeah, pretty, pretty pleased to see that uh, for a side that's been able to negate us the last two occasions – for us to get on top the way we did was a joy to watch. No, he was. He no. He, it, I think. Yeah, I think you you've hit the nail on the head. I think it was the best that we've played all year. And I, and I think there's. I mean, I I rate Freeman or maybe a bit higher than, than what you do. And I think I, I certainly I, I I didn't expect that we would win. I, I thought Fremantle would win. I, I thought we were in a bit of trouble, frankly. So I was really surprised and pleased. To see the way that they that they play, and we spoke a bit about it earlier in terms of the idea of playing well, um, keeping the foot on the throat, and then responding to challenges when Fremantle did pose them uh, during the second and, and third quarters. Uh, Doctor Jason Seuss asks, "Did you think we blew the game after all the misses in the first quarter? Is this an issue uh, of concern for the rest of the season?" Against the better side, yes. Against a yeah. better side, we got to see ourselves get not get away with it technically, but we got to see it. Uh, we got almost come undone against, yeah. We got to see it almost come undone against Richmond, or not that it did come undone against Frio, but there are these moments in games where you've against certain teams where you've got to be able to, to nail those opportunities because they don't give you those easy chances that we did then. And you know how often is it for us that you can say that we're going to miss the easy chances, but actually take the more difficult ones as we did across the course of the game. Now I'll tap into some numbers a bit later as well, but it's, it's look, I don't, I, I don't think we'd get away with it against Melbourne. I certainly don't think we'd get away with it against Collingwood in terms mm-hmm. of giving them a sniff. And, you know, we'll find out how we go against, um, against a couple of sharpshooters in the, in the coming weeks, um, namely Adelaide, who have the tools to give us a fair bit of trouble. One from Daniel Cosson. We keep saying the defensive issues are still there, but do you think the zone is at least looking a little bit better? The zone is looking a lot better because now we've actually got the particular key position player that can uh, yeah. that, that sort of unleashes it in that oh, sense how, too. But I don't. How good oh. was Liam Jones' third quarter? Mm. That was so it's underrated. He was thoroughly he, deserving of that coach's vote. That third quarter alone was uh, magnificent. Judges it very well there, doesn't he? Yeah. 
Imagine, I really wonder in this sense here, what do you reckon might have been with uh, with Jones? Had he, at the time, gone back, not that he could have, but had he pulled the trade request I've always all those that. years ago? I've always wondered, but I've always wondered that more as a forward in a side that went on to make finals and actually gave their forwards more opportunities. Remember, he... Well, he sort of started at the end of the ED era and then uh-huh. well, he played the large majority of his Bulldogs career in a side that was in the bottom four and he was pretty much on his own and learning the trade and didn't really have anyone to help him out. But I wonder if, if he had, if he was part of a forward line that, you know, was alongside the likes of Stringer, Cranberry and Dixon, for example. In a side and Redpath. And Redpath in a side that was scoring goals for fun and making finals, whether he would have had a bit more success there because he's never really played in a forward line in a good side, even when he was at Carlton. Now, Carlton he played, was, yeah, no, he was he played he was, five games at forward and then that was it. Yeah. So he's never really been a, a forward in a good side. So we've never known for sure. But, you know, I, I, yeah, but I, I have wondered that question as well. I've pondered that thought, but more so as a forward rather than as a, as a defender. Hmm. Interesting to say the least here. Yeah. Um, I've actually got one here for you, Matt. Um, mm-hmm. In respect for uh, for Paul Anthony, who's I'll sort of re I'll rehash the question. Do you reckon that uh, what do, what do you make of Adam Trelaw's form? Do you reckon potentially that there was this role that Dunkley was playing was was per se perhaps holding him back? I'm not saying the person. I'm saying the footballer, maybe in this sense. I don't what know. What do you reckon about that? Yeah, I don't know about that. Certainly, there's an opportunity for more midfield minutes for him, but I don't necessarily think I'd have Trelaw playing Dunkley's role, if that makes sense. I think Dunkley's a bit more of a physical midfielder, and Adam Trelaw, at times, it feels like when he runs around that he's just sort of being held together by duct tape, and that, uh, you know, if a, a misstep at the wrong time could have him out for a, a couple of months. I've been really impressed with his form, though. He's been one of the few Bulldogs players that has played really well in most games this season. He missed one match. He was, I think yep, he missed the definitely missed game. him in the Saints game. Yeah, definitely, definitely missed him there. Him but he was he was one of the more he was one of the more productive midfielders against Melbourne. Uh, he's, well, he's picked up seventy disposals in the last two weeks. In you know, in really difficult conditions as well on on the road in both games, I've been really impressed with his. Did he did he get a coach? What were the coaches' votes, please, Matt? If you've got them, yeah, I do have them here. I, I'm sure he did. He, yeah, he must have done. He picked up seven. Yeah, he only Bond and Belly picked up more in the in the game last week. I think the way that we're using Trelaw now is a much better balance. Again, it's for different reasons too, because obviously certain personnel are absent. But I think the way that we're using Trelaw is the ideal way that he was used at Collingwood across yeah. the 2017 through to 2019 seasons. In that sense, as that particular burst mid was that clearance bit. He's playing. Yeah, this is probably the best way I could probably describe it. Um, we probably haven't had this element of the burst mid playing the football that they are now. I mentioned that in our in the article when, um, oh, what was it? Uh, what will he bring at the end of the 2020 season mm. for when Trelaw joined us? Stating we haven't had a midfielder of his attributes since Ryan Griffin and Adam Cooney. Now, 
this is obviously a prime age midfielder, but now we're starting to actually see this football on a consistent basis. It's not that he wasn't playing four quarters, but now we're actually seeing him play it respectively the, the particular role for four quarters, not you're playing half the game in the midfield, you're playing other half somewhere else, you know. We're actually getting to see the full extent of his abilities as a sole mid. Just a, a, a question in, in reply, because I remember you, you were telling me this. Do you think he'll play out the five years of his contract? He's in year three now. Hmm. Yeah, a little bit of concerns about this stuff, but we'll see. Do you, well, saying, do you, why, though? Because if, this is, sort of, if this is mm. the sort of football he's playing, I mean, oh, I, I this can't is amazing, see what's holding him back. No, no, that's the thing. The only thing that would be probably would be the family aspect, but it seems like he's also like a man on a mission too, doesn't he? Yeah. I know you were worried about mm. that a little while ago, and I could sort of understand it from a physical point of view and just can the ankles hold up, but you know, the ankles mm. are like they're holding up so far, and he might that's miss the odd... It might be a case of them needing to manage him and he misses the odd game here or there, which I don't have a problem with. Well, a big problem with, at least. I'd rather he miss one game here or there than miss a month, you know, during the, the middle of the season, a month and a half. I mean, hmm. this, sort of, this sort of four months, like, he could play another two and a half years. I reckon he could. I think physically, that's not. A, I don't think there's an issue in that side of things. Obviously, an A-grade footballer, and again, how good is it to actually have a player of his... You know, capabilities at the club and still very much playing very, very good football. Um, I think we're just very stoked to have him, especially with what's happened in recent times as well and how we've actually got someone that still probably does, you know, that they do want to keep playing in this sense too. So it's just inklings that we're just going through where there was just questions about whether he would or wouldn't um, see that per se. That's... Yeah, two years of the way if he's playing, he'll, he'll get there. He'll probably add an extra. Uh, that'll take him what to the age of thirty-two, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I wonder. Yeah. I wonder what's probably the role for Trelaw after thirty-two for us. That is specifically well, because as long as it's not on the half, as long as it's on the half back line again. I wonder. That's what I'm trying to debate. Like, what is what does the future bring for him? Because does he go back out onto the wing? Does he stay within the within the guts as long as he's still got that burst of speed? We've seen him play forward at times too. So, yeah. Yeah, feels like, interesting, feels, interesting questions. Feels a bit like everyone's sort of playing back where they're supposed to be again. We're not seeing that wild experimentation anymore, touch wood. Uh, just a couple of final ones here from, from TK. Uh, we, I asked you after the Richmond game, was that the best zero goal performance from Jamara Hagen that we'd seen? Uh, TK asks this again about the Fremantle match. Was this Jamara's most impactful game as a whole? Yeah, I'd say this was he's the game he was better than the Richmond one. I wouldn't. I'd say the lack of goals are in, 10, 10 marks, eleven score involvements, or something along those lines against uh, against Fremantle. Yeah, something along those lines. I think. Yeah, I'd, I'll I'd double check to, that. I'd have to to get that up. I'd say yeah, this one probably overtakes the the game against Richmond. I think the goal scoring or, or the inaccuracy is a concern though. I I don't. I'm not really comfortable with the fact that he's only kicked one goal in the other five matches. That doesn't sit very mm. well with me. Yeah, uh, was it uh, ten score involvements, ten marks, three contested, five inside fifty? If he kicks straight, three contested marks. Yeah. Three contested marks. Okay, I was talking to what I don't think he was. Well, in the context of things like what is it? Champion Data had him as our third worst rated player on the ground uh, with a rating points of one point nine. I do think that is quite harsh. I think it's 
a bit interesting to see that probably for the disposal efficiency going at about 44 percent uh there's only three turnovers amongst his amongst his 16 touches so i wonder i think they're probably just punishing him for those particular shots on goal more so three contested marks is a good game five of those uh, five of his 10 marks uh, coming inside 50. And from the, I think it's not a bad match. Even a ruck contest he got involved in as well. There you go. Oh, well, brilliant. He's a, he's a lead at that now as well. And then from the former 22 to the current 22, has Tim O'Brien improved or were we just too harsh on him last year? I think you and I and other fans too were probably a bit burnt by some performances that he put forward against us where it appeared like we recruited him solely off one particular game, yeah, which, yeah. which is not the case. But... Um, I've never been massively sold on him as a footballer across his career um, from when he debuted in round two, 2014. But, but he was, it's just weird, you know, because he was, of course, the actual draft selection we had or would have had um, had it not been traded uh, along with Brian Lake, you know. Yeah. And then we, of course, got Nathan Robat and Kobe Stevens ultimately in that deal. So, yes, he is the uh, last link to the Brian Lake trade as Tim O'Brien in this sense. I and... I wonder. I, I think he's doing okay in terms of the role that we would have ideally recruited him for. And that's probably where you've been asking, where is, or for instance, people might be asking, where is Ryan Gardner? This is the role that he's competing for yeah. against Tim O'Brien, not the key position stock that he was playing last year. No. This is with, the role. I think with with O'Brien, he's not a very versatile defender. And, and what I mean by that is that the third tall defensive option is his go. And I think what we've seen over the past couple of games is when he's playing that role, he's pretty good. When you ask him to sort of play outside that box and play as the second tall defender, he can't do it. And we saw that when he had to play on Marshall in the last quarter against Port Adelaide. Couldn't do it. Who's, who's not a, a, you know, a monstrosity by any means. You know, no. He's got height, Marshall, but he shouldn't be someone that tears the game to shreds. I think O'Brien as a third tall defender is good, and I think he's played a couple of really good games. The The problem is, is if you lose one of your other key backs to an injury, and then he's got to take a step up in the chain, and he's got to be the second defender, I think that's where you run into problems. Hmm. And he didn't really get the opportunity to play as a third tall at all last year. No, he did think. not. No, so I think he sort of came in because out of necessity, and then he got injured just as you know we were starting to get numbers back. So he never really got to play that role that we brought him in for. But he has the last couple of weeks, and when he has played that role, he's been not all Australian calibre, but he's been pretty reasonable. And I think if he can continue to build on that, I think we've got a handy third tall option. But he's a limited third tall option. He can't be a can't be a third that can play second if you're desperate. Third is his ceiling. Let's have a look. So five marks for him on the weekend. Uh, let's have a look. Five intercept possession. So he's. This is about the idea of winning the ball back, yeah. which is very important. Uh, four of those weren't contested in that sense, so that shows that he's probably reading the drop of the ball quite well, mm -hmm. and as well as three rebounds and six one percenters. Not too bad a game. Not too bad a style for him, I reckon, mm -hmm. in that sense. Um, rated above average for spoils this particular season, and how's he tracking in terms of his career? Well, he's got to probably boost those particular numbers up, but then again. <laughs> He did play yeah, up forward too for a, a chunk. Yeah. Well, I think on that note, we might just leave it there for another episode of the Salty Ball. Look, a pretty positive episode in the Salty Ball. Nick, we've, we've squared the ledger at three and three. I think things are starting to get yes. back on track. Yes. Quick question for this one. So three oh, and three. Can we get the season on track now? Dare we say 
get it to five and three. I know we're jumping the gun, but can yeah. we get it to five and three? We're good enough to. We are good yes. enough to. Now, even even without mm. Libuff, we're good enough to to beat Hawthorne this week. We, uh, look, if we're fair dinkum, we beat Hawthorne. That, uh, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Yep, this is the reliability test, people, yeah. at the moment. Because this is boding. We were wondering last uh, few weeks ago, we were saying this is looking pretty similar to the 2022 season. I think now we're starting to potentially see the similarities of the 2020 season, where we're going to come up to a particular test of a team uh, in due course who could give us some trouble, but you know, we'll see whether we're actually up to it or not. I'm speaking that team being Carlton mm. in, in a month's time. Well, we will uh, – and, and the other thing worth noting is, well, we've only played at Marvel Stadium twice this season. No, we've, got, third no, time. we've done very so nice we've so that that's that's I suppose that's a positive to take out of it. Uh, another positive as well is that Salty Bulldog TV will be there on in the post match on Saturday at Marvel Stadium between the Dogs and the Hawks. Uh, I unfortunately will not be Matt. I'm sorry. I am oh. so sorry to everyone. It would have been a pleasure, but I will not be there for Bonson Bellies 200, which is sacrilegious. So it is. Uh, All right, well, it oh. is genuinely. I'll be there. But you can give me a phone call. Give me a phone call and I can do what I can. Yeah, I'll, I'll be there. Maybe Nick, but I'll be there. We'll be doing something outside Marvel Stadium in the post-match. So keep eyes and ears peeled for that on the social media channels, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, our website, www.thesaltybulldog.wixsite.com forward slash home, and our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get it. Be sure to check us out there. Nick, thank you for your time. Always a, always a pleasure to have you on. And much better after a win, I'll tell you that. Always is. He's been Nick Galea. I've been Matthew Donald. It's been great having your company. We look forward to having you join us again next week. But until then, take care.